0: Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for all things Olympiakos FC and Greek football. This is episode 26 and midweek series number 12. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm here with Lambros Sermos, Adi Bulubasis, and our very special guest, the long-awaited correspondent from Pauk Talk, Angelo. Angelo is part of the new Pauk Talk podcast, which you can find on YouTube. We're really excited that this is getting started. It's great to have more people getting involved in the Greek football community in the discussion. So Angelo, we're really happy to see that you and your
1: co-host have decided to start this. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I mean, you guys are doing great things for for Greek soccer, especially for English talkers. So I'm happy to be on and, uh, you know, be on for this episode and talk some soccer with you guys. For sure, man.
0: Yeah, it's definitely great to get more engagement with the community. And I think having different teams and whatnot, you know, getting out there is uh, even better to get more people involved. So it's really great. And uh, hopefully we can both keep growing as a podcast and continue to put out good content. Before we get into our discussion about PALC, as well as our discussion about today's friendly between Greece and Cyprus, I do want to make a few quick announcements about some upcoming podcast guests. For Monday, November 16th, we will be joined by the Super Greek who you can follow on Twitter at the super greek they will be joining us to discuss the international break as well as the performances from Greece against Cyprus and Moldova. We will also be joined next week on Friday November 20th by Antoni from Hellas Football. We've had him on before to talk about Panathinaikos and with the derby of eternal enemies coming up, we will be having him on again. We will also be discussing international break and our next guest will be on Monday, November 23rd. We will be joined by the host of the new Hellas football podcast, George, who you can follow on Twitter at OliGeorge underscore. He's an Olympia Ghost supporter, as you can tell, and he'll be joining us for a post-match discussion about the Panathinaikos game. Lastly, one of our contributors, Perry, our good friend and helper on the podcast behind the scenes, will be joining us for the midweek series to discuss the European games that go on that week. This episode will air on Friday, November 27th. He will give us some insights based on his experiences with his father, who is a former Olympiacos player. Additionally, we would like to say thank you again to our sponsor, Piraeus International Incorporated. Piraeus International has been importing and exporting cargo for companies and individuals for over 40 years. They can assist you in importing olive oil, Marvel, or any other goodies from Greece. They can also assist in exporting, whether you have one box or a full household of items that need to be sent over. Check them out at PiraeusINTL.com and give them a call at 410-675-4696. For some more news about Greek football, the coronavirus pandemic is continuing to make its way through Greece and Europe as Ike's outbreak continues to spread. Maybe the international break will help with that. Maybe it will hurt. We will see. With Olympiacos, we have some very unfortunate news about some players that we are very disappointed in. After the OFI game, a few Olympiakos players went to a party in a hotel, namely Ruben Semedo, Lazar Ranjerovic, and Bruno. They were fined by the club for violating lockdown. Obviously, this is something that should not be happening at all. It's very upsetting and it's really disappointing for me to see our players doing that.
2: Yeah, Peter, to build onto that, I think uh, Bob, from who was our last uh, guest uh, at Olympiakos English, put a long thread together on Twitter about how disappointing this was. And I guess people can view it as, oh, okay, it's just a small gathering, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of people in Greece are shut out from their jobs, stuck at home, are losing money. And these guys are getting to do what they love every single week and play football and make a ton of money. So for them to disrespect these simple guidelines that are there to protect the people and the the team, if one of the players tests positive from a party like this, it affects the whole team, can affect our European journey. It's just terrible behavior. I know Ruben Samedo is one of our more important players, but I think him, Lazar, and Bruno should be riding the bench for a little while because of this. More specifically, I think Bruno should be cut. I think he's terrible as a player as well.
3: Well, Samedo also, this isn't a good look for him. Remember, he got into the problems he already had because of his antics when he was partying. Supposedly trying to kidnap somebody, brandishing a weapon. He still can't go to Spain. He's banned from the country of Spain. Did anybody forget about this? This is not a good look for him.
2: Yeah, just so people understand, this made news across Europe. The French media covered it. The Spanish newspaper, I think, La Pais, I think is the name, had a headline that said Ruben Samedo back to his old ways and mentioned again his criminal past, blah, 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 blah. So for a player who's looking to move on probably this summer, maybe in a little bit longer to a top side, not a good look. We'll see how Coach Martins deals with this when they return from international duty. Actually, Samedo is starting this evening for Portugal. And Lazar, of course, is with the Serbian national team.
0: Yeah, on Lazar, this is his first call-up to Serbia, and for him to behave this way, potentially with that call-up on the line, is really just insensitive and immature. So I'm really disappointed with the players for doing this. Hopefully everybody else on the team is obeying the guidelines and staying home, obviously, unless they have to be flown out to international break. Another note about this story, and I think maybe Michael Vicini, one of our former guests, will appreciate this, they were at a party hosted by a 24-year-old girl who got arrested, obviously, for hosting something that would violate these guidelines. Her lawyer is Larissa owner Alexis Cuyas. So he was literally on TV trying to claim like, oh, this girl is innocent, all this stuff. We know how Michael perceives him. So not sure how to think about that, but it's definitely an interesting ripple to the story for sure. Moving on to another bit of Olympiacos and coronavirus news. One of our youth players, Vasidis Suris, tested positive for coronavirus. He is with the Greek under-21 national team, and that's how we found out. Hopefully, he is okay and doesn't transmit the virus to anybody else in the team. Additionally, as we talked about last weekend, Maxi Levera may unfortunately not be with the club for much longer. He has put in a transfer request after the loan move to the Brazilian team that we talked about failed. We wish the best for Maxi. He doesn't seem like he's getting his opportunity with us. We've talked about this at length over the weekend, so we won't spend too much time on it now, but it's certainly unfortunate. Additionally, Mari Kamara in international duty today scored his first goal for Guinea, which proved to be the decisive winner in a 1-0 victory over Chad in Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers, putting them in a good position to play in that tournament next summer. Reviewing the Super League results from the weekend, Pauk beat Apollon Smyrnis 3-1 in a result I'm sure we will talk about more. We already discussed Olympiakos beating Ofi 2-0. Panathinaikos fall to Atromitos 1-0 in a game where Lazaros Christodoulopoulos, former Panathinaikos and Olympiakos player, scored the decisive goal as a substitute, and Yanina drew with Panetolikos 0-0. Additionally, Yorgos Masuras suffered a foot injury in practice for the Ethniki, he was out of the game with Cyprus today. We will know more about his injury later this week, but that's also unfortunate.
3: Peter, I wanted to just quickly jump in on the Maxi Lavera issue because I really think that this is another domino that's fallen as a result of what's been going on with Fortunis. Now, obviously, Maxi's very young. Part of me thinks he's being impatient. You know, a, a young player has to work hard Earn his chance. However, had we not really been mishandling or kind of going all over the place with the Fortunis issue and maybe with some of our other young talent, I don't think this becomes a problem. But when he sees a guy like Fortunis struggling to get first team appearances, when he's easily one of the most talented players on our team, he's probably not feeling too well. And I already tweeted out these metrics for Lovera this season, but Lovera's played a grand total of 90 minutes for us across two games. And in those 90 minutes, he's got two assists, three attempted smart passes, one successful, one key pass, one shot on target, three for nine on -on one-on-one dribbles against a defender. Any player you look at for 90 minutes and you see those metrics, two assists, three attempts at key goal scoring opportunities, one that was successful, one key pass. So an opportunity he created that made a goal scoring opportunity that was missed. That's fantastic for 90 minutes and certainly is deserving of more chances, especially when we have a 37-year-old that's manning the number 10 for us. The way he's been handled is completely unacceptable. I would just mention,
2: I I texted you guys this. I, I don't know if people know this, but Troy Dominguez is actually on payroll for the club. I do not understand why he is not in Greece dealing with this, mentoring this kid. As a former Argentinian star for this club, you would think this is a prime opportunity for him to mentor this kid who's 22 years old, came to a new country, doesn't speak English, doesn't speak Greek, only speaks Spanish. Very difficult circumstances. You would think a mentor like, like Troy Dominguez would be around. That's one of the reasons we hired him after his retirement. I wish something could be done with that, but losing Max Lovera, could be a disaster, I think, for this club going forward. I could see him developing into a star in continental European football.
0: He's a really talented player, and what annoys me about it is that the risk of resting players in Greece is so low. Even if Lavera wasn't actually that good, giving him a game is not really that big of a deal. Now, let's not get into that too much. Let's get into the reason that we are here and the reason that Angelo is here, and that is Pauk, Lambros's favorite team. Angelo, we figured we would get a little bit of background on you before we jump into your thoughts on PAUC season so far. So we wanted to ask you, and you can speak for your co-host as well, how did you both become PAUC fans, and why did you decide to start the podcast?
1: Uh, you know, growing up, I've always been around soccer. Uh, my my dad is from Thessaloniki. Um, he was born and raised there. He went to, you know, a lot of the PAUC games at, at Thumba, and um, The last couple of summers, probably from 2013 on, I've been spending my summers in Greece and, you know, I I get to as many games as you can. Usually it's the end of the playoffs and the start of the European campaigns. So just through watching games with him, you know, I grew up, I didn't go to Greek school, but I grew up learning Greek from watching Greek soccer games. And, you know, a lot of young Greek kids can say the same thing as, you know, with they're sitting with their parents, with friends, watching games. And that's how I basically grew up to be a Pauk fan. Um, I got connected with Jono through the uh, Fante's forums, through the Pauk forums. It was, you know, especially during Corona and quarantine, I've been thinking of new things to get into. You know, I love talking sports. I love talking soccer. I love talking Pauk soccer. So I kind of threw out the idea of who on the forums, if anyone's interested in going down this route with me, and he reached out to me and it was pretty good. Um, It's been, it's been a really good match so far. Uh, The only issue is he's in Australia. I'm in New York, Connecticut. So it's uh, the the time difference is really difficult. So we usually, we're usually recording at around 1am my time, uh, midnight my time. Um, So I'm just getting in or I'm just getting ready to settle down for the night and we hop on and, and we record, but it's been going great. I mean, we have a lot of people that are, are constant listeners of the podcast, people who interact on the forums with us, you know, say what things that we could do better. But we, we just started to kind of just express our views and, and helped English speakers who are Pulp fans get some sort of news because there's not that much out there, much content out there. And I'm sure you guys know that. Um, and hopefully if we grow, we grow. If not, then, you know, we are, we're happy with what we're doing and we're, we're happy giving people some news and insight on the team. You
0: know, that seems really similar to us in a lot of ways. We definitely were a bit bored in quarantine, I would say, and sort of inspired to do this and just enjoy talking about our club. And we sort of have the same mentality, I think, where if it grows, it grows. And if not, we still have fun talking to each other about Olympiakos and Greek football and just knowing that at least a few people are listening. So I think that's really similar. I also know pretty much all of the Greek words that I know, which is not very many from watching Greek soccer, you know, (laughs) Dokari, Katohi, that's about it. But um, (laughs) uh, anyway, let's get into your your thoughts on the Pauk season so far. So it's been an interesting one for Pauk. Obviously, the European qualifiers, there was a lot of excitement with Pauk defeating some really big, high-reputation European sides. There were also a lot of transfers this summer a lot of players out, and some really solid players in. I think the headline is going to be how much money Pauk had to come in by selling players, but some nice additions to the team as well. This is obviously in part to address some of the debt that the club might be dealing with. Obviously, a lot of clubs are dealing with debt this summer Mm -hmm. due to the coronavirus pandemic. But to start off, what are your thoughts on the transfer window? And more specifically, In the European Champions League qualifying campaign, do you think that some of the sales that were made might have jeopardized your chances of playing Champions League football this year?
1: Yeah, I'll start off with with the players that have left. Obviously, you have uh, some key players. I mean, I really like Mauricio. I know he's getting up in age. He's 32 years old. But I think he would be a solid player on this team, Um, especially when Augusto was out. Now that Augusto's back in, it kind of cancels. Uh, but I, I really liked him, and for him to go Panathinaikos, that, that was kind of disappointing to me. I mean, you had Stock, who left, who really didn't get a second opportunity with us. Um, kind of, he was lost in that in that three back formation because he wasn't a central player, um, and you're not really playing with wingers out there, so he was lost. Vern bloom again. He he was brought in as a strong holding midfielder, a strong defensive midfielder. And nothing worked out with that, so that that's fine. But then you look at players like Akbom who was let go right around the first game versus Krasnodar. And I think that his departure kind of was at the wrong time. I mean, you got to hold on to him when you're one leg away, two games away from making Champions League for the first time in history. And I wouldn't say they were favored, but I wouldn't say Pauk was favored, but this was probably their best chance. I mean, when when you're going against other teams of, of higher caliber, like we've gone against Ajax in the past, um, other big European teams in the past. When you're playing across Nodar, even though they're a good team, I'm not taking anything away from them. But this was this was definitely our best shot. And to let him go, you know, we didn't have Cholak then. So to let him go with not really a, a replacement in sight, that was kind of disappointing. Um, also, his transfer fee was only 3.3 million. For someone who's going to go to Europe and, and to England, and he's been doing pretty well at for Middlesbrough. Uh, I think that we could have gotten higher for him in terms of the fee. Ligno, I mean, to be honest, I'm not really a fan of his. uh, And let me rephrase that by saying I think he's a great player. I think he offers a lot going forward and and coming back. But just his style of play for Pauk wasn't that great. He's much better with the ethnic, and the national team, I think, than he is with Pauk. Um, He's a really young player, so he could get better. Uh, I know for Koln, he he started some games. I'm not sure if he started all the games, but he's pretty much played in, in most of them. Uh, but for the ethnic key, he looks like a different player. Uh, every time you're watching the game, the announcers are saying how he's one of their best players. And, but for Pauk, he, he didn't do much for me. Ultimately, we, we got rid of him for three and a half mil, 3.3 mil with the, with the resale value. Belkas for me, is, is the biggest head scratcher. Um, you know, you have your number 10. He's not too old, 27 years old, going to, to Turkey for only one and a half million. Uh, that's someone who I feel like for one and a half, we could have kept him. Now, I know some of these players are on their last years of their contract, and that's something that we as a club and organization have been mismanaging for an entire too long, where we're letting players get to that last year, then we lose all all leverage, Um, especially if we're not planning on re-signing them. Teams are going to lowball us on our offers. They're going to know that, okay, well, he's going to be free next year, so why don't you just take this offer, Right um and that's one thing about you know Savidis and management that I have not liked is we let a lot of these players go or wait too long. I mean Yanuli is in the same boat so we'll see what happens with him. I know it talks about re-signing him. I'm not sure if it, if it actually has happened or not. I know we we re-signed uh, Solis for a while too. So and then and then the two Issues with Matos and, and Verinha. You know, Verinha came back, but there was that whole time where we didn't know what was going on. Both camps were saying it was kind of the other camp's fault. And I'm just not happy with the way that played out. I, I blame both sides. Um, I blame Verinha. You know, if he really wanted to play, he would have have he stayed. I know there was a couple hundred thousand uh, euro difference, but for him, that's not that much. Matos, I think, was, was a big loss for that Krasnodar game. He ended up coming back after that. But I think if we had him and we had Akbom, I mean, it, it's hindsight to look back now. But if we had those two players, I think that we would have progressed. Uh, but we did l- let go a lot of key players and a lot of key cogs from from the last few years. With Limnios, I agree
3: with you 100%. When I watched him for, play for Pauk and when I watched his performances with the, the Ethniki, they it is literally two completely different players. And even right. if you pull up Limnios' metrics for when he plays for Pauk versus the Ethniki, quite literally, he gets into one-on-one situations on the dribble more than double with the key than he did with Pauk. And he's more successful with the key than he was with Pauk. Even with Kohn right now, He's dribbling way less, maybe twice a game, and only one of them will be successful per game, similar to what he did with Pop, But for the ethnic E, he's taking people on six or seven times a game. Right. That's absurd. And maybe it's a confidence thing. You know, he knows his role. He knows where he is with the national team. And maybe that maybe that's part of it. But it's it's
1: crazy to see. I mean when you're watching his games for Pauk or when he was playing for Palk, he would he would take it up and then he would just backpass it all the time, pass it back to Matos back, pass it back to a center back to a midfielder. Yep. It, it was just constant over and over and over. And at first you're thinking, okay, well, maybe it's the game plan where you have Matos overlap because he's an attacking wing wing back, right? You have him go up and maybe Limion will be able to stay back a little bit and offer defensive help should we need it, should we get overloaded on that side on the counter. But you just touched on it, and it's the same thing for FC for Köln. I mean, so I, I do think it's a confidence thing. I think that, you know, the last – his first few games with the Ethniki, after post-quarantine, he was on fire, and I think that's what built his confidence going forward.
3: Definitely. Now, for me, Belkas is, is an interesting character for me because, personally, we've seen – especially against Olympiakos, games where Belgas looks like he can be a real leader on the pitch and a mm-hmm. great player, especially in the offensive third. In the first leg of the cup game, the Greek cup game, where uh, Olympiakos and Pauk played, Belgas mm-hmm. had a lights-out performance. I think, was it two goals and an assist, or a goal and two right. assists? I have them mixed up. But then for like the next six, seven games I watched, I wasn't impressed. I didn't see much out of them, especially in Europe. And he's always been that type of player for me. He'll have one or two occasions where we see, like, oh my god, there is something here, and then, and then he, and then he kind of goes quiet. Now, I was in agreement. I didn't understand why he they just sold him in the middle of the night, basically, and he just left. But we were hearing reports that when he heard he, the bags were packed and he was ready to go, so part of me wonders maybe you know he he had spent a lot of time at Boca, obviously. Maybe he was just trying to look for. You know, greener pastures, or just a change of scenery, as some players, as some players like. But that that was another move that us who aren't in the Bao community or know really what's going on, that was completely puzzling to us. Especially along with you know, after the Limnio sale had already gone through, you know, Akpom was basically sold really quickly as well. Yep. You know, that was a decision that we were like, what, what in God's name, and for pennies?
1: Yeah, I think I think that's that's the ultimate kind of like shot to the foot, right? It was only for one and a half million. I feel like Pauk has that small club mentality that they feel like they are always trying to, okay, well, let's, you know, let's, you know, sell players off to bigger clubs. When are we going to get to that point where we're keeping our better players, right? I mean, when are we going to get to the point where when our number 10, we're not giving him to a team who's not playing in Europe this year for only one and a half million. Uh, How many other Champions League caliber teams would be giving up their number 10 for one and a half million. That, that's ultimately my thing. And I think we 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 have this small club mentality, uh, the organization, where, oh, well, one and a half million, that's good. All right, we're going to give up Akbom, who's one of the top scorers in the Greek league in the last few years. We're only going to give him up for 3.3. Oh, that's awesome. You know, you have these players who, if you look at Olympiacos, and, you know, I know Semedo, they uh, – uh, Benfica wanted a lot, but they held off. I think they resigned them, right? Um, that's what big clubs do—they hold on to their best players, better players, until an offer comes where they have to take it. And for us to get to the level of Olympiacos in terms of optics and in terms of finances and in terms of all that thing, all that you know, all that jazz, I think we need to get rid of that small club mentality and know that we are a team that should be well for this whole coefficient kind of drop for Greece. We, we should have been a club that always contested uh, with Champions League teams that we should have been able to make the group stages. Um, obviously, now with it looks like Olympiacos is going to be holding the league for a little bit, we should be a team that whatever European competition we're in, it looks like it's that EL2 or whatever you want to call it, the Conference League that we should be making the last 16, 32 every single time. Um, but I agree. I, th- I think it's the, it's the selling for pennies uh, thing that bothers us the most. And what you said about Semedo,
0: I think is most poignant to me because, and you mentioned it earlier as well. I mean, I know from playing football manager that you don't let your players contracts run down. You know, oh, yeah. if, uh, if you do that, you're not going to get any big offers, you're going to end up selling them for as you say, pennies for less than what their actual value would mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. And, commenting on the the el2 yeah i think the europa conference league or whatever it's called i i like it i don't like that you know it basically means that obviously less teams in greece will be going to champions league and europa league with the coefficient drop but it gives teams in greece a bigger chance of potentially making a really deep run in that tournament like i could definitely see PAOK going really far in the europa conference league europa right. league I mean, they can make it out of their group, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to go up against big English clubs, big Spanish clubs. You're never going to get a trophy out of that.
1: And and what's interesting too is even if we finish first, right? i now I'm just hoping even if we finish first in our group, we could still face one of the teams that finished third in the Champions League. So right now, it could be a team like PSG who's underperforming in the Real Champions Madrid League. Even. Right, and they're going to come down, and then that's, that's who we're going to face first, right? So just because we're, you know, and just because we're finishing first doesn't mean anything, right? We should be striving for, for higher goals. But in regards to the players that we we brought in, at first, I wasn't a fan of the transfer window. But as I looked at it more, I actually did like it. I mean, we brought in Stefan Schwab from Rapid Vienna, who to me is more of a leader, Um, He is the player who commands the locker room, and even from his short time, I mean, the first game that he played, we scored a goal. I'm not sure who scored, but he was one of the first ones there to celebrate. People were, you know, hugging him, and it was kind of a a welcoming into the club. Um, I I like him. He's been hot and cold. Uh, He is a strong center midfielder who can play the ball on a dime to wingers cutting up, to outside backs. Um, his distribution is really good, one of the best on the team from what I've seen so far. Uh, but then he has games where he kind of hides or doesn't, doesn't show up. Uh, you have Ninua, the Georgian from Tbilisi, again for 850 he's not he's a big big guy but in terms of his playing style I see him more of, as an attacking midfielder. He's a free kick specialist and we saw that a couple games ago when yes, he, we did uh, when he scored that beautiful goal um, the, the stunning strike so he's uh, he's someone who I think at 21 years old is going to be playing a part in the next few years. but then you have someone like Pereira. Anderson, uh, Adrian Pereira, the, the Norwegian left back from, from Viking who we got. At first, I thought that was an okay move, but now he wasn't even in the in the squad the last game when we didn't have Januli and we had to play Liratsis at, at left back. So for us to not even put Pereira in the squad, that's kind of puzzling to me. That makes me think that he's going to be loaned out this winter when you don't have any left backs and you're putting in a right back at left back and you just Got a left back uh, from this transfer window, so that was a little puzzling to me. Uh, obviously, I love the Zivkovic um, transfer. That's a that's the type of player that I'm willing to take a kind of a gamble on. I mean, it could have turned out like a stock situation where he comes in, doesn't do anything. You know, it's kind of because he was a wonder kid once, right? I mean, he was projected to be yep. a star. Um, so it looks like he's finding that form now, and to get him for free, I think that's a bit a real big deal. Hopefully, we could keep him. Uh, I think his contract was one year and then uh, an option. I'm not sure if it was a team or a player option. But if we could keep him throughout this year, help us get far in Europe uh, to get that number two spot or, or contend with that number one in the in the Super League, I think that would be big. I know Watford is coming after him. I know that if he keeps doing well in Europe, it's going to be tough to keep him throughout the winter. Yep, Muagwe, um, it, it's still... It's still out there to see what he's going to do. I feel like he's gaining confidence, the the right back, right wing back. Um, At first, he looked lost. And that's funny to say that someone from Barcelona comes and looks lost. Um, I mean, it's not even just Barcelona, but he's played in World Cup games. He scored in World Cup games. So um, I'm not sure what was up with his first couple of games, but he's starting to get the hang of it. He's starting to uh, play tougher. He's starting to look more confident out there. Um, He's on loan. Right, So I don't think there's an option to buy. So he's only going to be helping us this year. But it's kind of like a stopgap when we really didn't know what was going to happen with our right back situation. So it's good that we got him, that we actually did get rid of Matos. Um, And then the last two, Cholak and Merg. Uh, Cholak hasn't been doing much so far. I do like his play of kind of holding up the ball. He's that kind of target man, the target player that you could play long balls. He'll hold it up um, and then he'll let the wingers run in. He'll lay it off, and then, you know, they'll be able to find those cutters. Uh, he's not the kind of player you – he's he's kind of the opposite of Swiderski. Swiderski will get in, in the box, do whatever it takes to get that goal. Uh, Cholak's more of a kind of like a, a lower down the field forward who's going to be holding up the, the possession, keeping as much as he can. Uh, and then Merg, he, he's looked like the star, along with Zivkovic. For me, he's kind oh, of yeah. filling in for Pelkas. We got him for $2 million. Again, from Rapid Vien. Um, he has been excellent so far for me. He's been, you know, you have Zivkovic, probably the, the number one transfer. Merg would be my number two so far. Uh, he's just looked really strong, really quick, kind of the same thing as Pelkas on his good days. Because I agree, Pelkas has good days. He's had not so good days. And it's evident from his first game for, for He he scored a goal. Right, So he immediately made an impact. And same thing with with Pauk. He's had games where he's looked good and then some games where he looked invisible. So Murr kind of has been playing well every game. So the comparison I want to make with this, if I can real quick, is if you look at the 2016-2017 Pauk team, the players that we brought in that year, okay, it, it It reminds me so much of the players that we brought in this year. And I'll go over the list. We have Varela, Campos, for Canas, Mato, Shakov, Crespo. Um, then you have Pryovic, Warda, Pedro Enrique. That team, I think, was the start of, I don't want to say dynasty, right? But that was the start of the Pauk that we know today. Um, you have all these players that were bought in 16-17 that kind of really didn't make an impact right away. They would have made an impact when they won the league. Um, they won the cup that year, so they kind of did. But those were players that we brought in. They were kind of youngish, uh, 27, 26, 28, and now they're in their older age. But that core is still with Pop, right? You saw Varela, Pisesuar, Matos before this year, Shakov again, Kanyas just left a couple years ago. Um, and the players that we transferred out that year Robert Mapp, Lucas Perez, Vitor, Gary Rodriguez. So it's kind of the same thing in the terms of we're letting key players go, but we're bringing in kind of a new batch for the future. So that's why I got excited about these incoming players for this year. I kind of see that's the same vibe that we're getting.
0: Yeah, I see it as well. I think, especially given the circumstances, I think Pauk spent their money pretty smartly in terms of acquiring players and for what it's worth, I'm not totally sure, but I think that left-back Pereira might be dealing with some injury issues. I'm not totally sure about that, but that might explain why he wasn't in uh, and why Lee Razzis had to play there on the left. But either way, I think it's been a solid transfer window of players coming in for Pauk. Now, the one transfer that we haven't talked about is obviously the coach. Pauk having just let go of their manager, Ebel Ferreira, he is now in Brazil with Palmeiras. Fun fact, actually, he recently managed a game against Leo Matos, who is now playing in Brazil. (laughs) So that must have been an interesting reunion out there. Matos
1: tried to kill someone out there, too. Did you see that? He got a (laughs) yellow card. It was dirty slides out. Oh, man. Two feet in.
0: Oh, my God. Well, that is something. But you've got a new coach now, Pablo Garcia. Came up from the youth ranks, so he's probably familiar with a lot of the younger players in Pauk's team. A lot of players have come up through the academy – We've already seen a change in formation and a change in style in Garcia's first couple games, and we've also seen a lot of success, including the big win in Europe against PSV. So it might seem pretty obvious that you're probably relatively positive on Garcia, but what have you seen so far that you've liked, and what are your overall thoughts on the coaching change?
1: Uh, I love Garcia. At first, um, when Ferreira was kind of You know, he had the big wins in Europe, but then that Crustadar game kind of crashed out. And then we started off pretty slow in the Super League. um, And there were rumblings about him being let go. You know, I was when I'm the podcast and I kept saying, you know, if we were to bring anyone in, I'd hope it'd be Garcia. We got to give him a chance. Right. I think there's something he hadn't lost in 50 games in the league for the youth team. You have to give that person an option, uh, a chance, right? And it's the same thing with what we did with Ivich. and that's another comparison to that 16 season. Ivich, that was his first head job as a coach, and he, you know, did well. But in regards to Garcia, one of the changes, obviously, the the four backs. I think that's key. I I like Ferreira. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a good coach. I think that he loves his players. I think he is a players' coach. If you if you watch the the Pal- the Tumba and Center videos that Palk TV puts out you could tell he really loves his team and his team cares about him. He's the kind of coach that motivates the players to do well. But he's the coach where he can surprise bigger teams. Now, I don't know if he could have gotten it done against teams that were favored against. And, And based off of the couple results that he had in the Super League, it didn't seem like it. That formation seemed too much like five in the back. So against the teams that are favored, where we're sitting back and we're hitting on the counter, that's perfect for that. But when you need to score goals and you need to create and have your creators in, and have wingers in. that formation wasn't good. So I like Garcia in the, in the, in the fact that he didn't change his formation. Uh, he didn't try to play with the players that were brought in and, and the three in the back kind of thing. He, he played his own, his own formation, his own tactics. Uh, and I give him credit for that. It's obviously working. Um, I like how he's kind of giving everybody a chance to show we can do, and he brought in some young players um, in substitution the last couple of games or giving him, them opportunities. Also, the team just seems to be pressing higher and faster with him. Um, and the last game we we saw it was really evident in how the players came out and were on fire from the start. And and the, the players know what Garcia is to Pauk. And his, I guess you could say his legend, his lord, his status, and they all want to work for him. Uh, like you mentioned, the, the players coming up, he, he coached some of them, right? The, the academy players. So they know what he's all about. Uh, the players love him. The, the fans love him. Um, so he's going to have the full backing of the fans. So even if things go wrong a little bit um, or sideways, I think he wouldn't get as much criticism as a foreign coach or someone who's not really a Pucsie through and through. But so far, his selections have been good. I know people were puzzling his uh, selection of Besaswar against PSV, uh, but I, I'm fine with it. Uh, Besaswar in games like that usually plays well. He didn't play that well that game, and he made this up. Right? One thing about Ferrer that I didn't like is he waited too long to make substitutions. He would he would wait until the 70th minute to make a substitution when needing a score goal. You know, 65th, 70th, 75th. Garcia saw things weren't working, so he made the sub pretty early on. But I think he understands the game. Uh, he understands the Greek game more definitely. So, I, you know, things are going well. I'm not putting all my eggs in his basket just quite yet. Um, I think that's the realistic thing to do is don't get too high when things are going well. Don't get too low when things are, aren't going well. But right now, I, I'm, I'm bored with everything he's done. I think that he's commanded the team and he's earned uh, more opportunities at this, at this job.
3: For me, at the moment, I think Garcia is a better coach. Mm-mm. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say that bluntly. I had a lot of questions about for Ferrera. I've, se- I've watched every bout game. You know, I try to watch, especially not just Europe, but even in Greece, especially right. R- the main rivals, the larger teams. And how many games did we see Ferrera fail to address the weakness on the right side, which mm-hmm. had been there? It, it was seen. It was visible. But he, nothing really for me changed to address that. Now his last game, obviously before he left, the right side wasn't as much of a weakness. You can attribute that to one, the players wanting to play well last day of the coach. Mm-hmm. He did. He did actually make a couple adjustments too. But but with Garcia, has the right side looked as weak? In no. The, no, it has it. He addressed it immediately. Now. The second thing I like is, one, because he was the coach of the youth, he's going to know the young guys. More young guys are getting call-ups, which is something that, as Olympiacos fans, we're a little envious of. I'm not going to to lie. We mm-hmm. just had a rant from Lambro in the last podcast about the mishandling of our youth. Again, he, we've been making such great strides in our academy, finally, and getting some great players, developing some young players, Timikas. Thanasis Adruzos, guys mm-hmm. that really look like they could produce something. Heck, buhalakis is a mainstay in the 11. But here we go. We have some young talent. You know, we had some young talent in the academy that just have now disappeared. A young left back, Martinis, who was supposed to be like the next Simikas, And all of a sudden, we just let him go mm-hmm. for nothing. You know, Adruzos was supposed to be a core part of the team. We couldn't get a loan move, and now he's just rotting on the bench. Marios Vrussai had a great season in the Netherlands. We brought him back. He was, again, supposed to be a key fixture in the team. We don't really have any wingers that are performing super well and nothing. So right. for as an Olympiacos fan, I am envious of the way right now Box handling their youth because I think you guys are succeeding more than we are at it.
1: Now, the thing, though, I, I definitely want to say is so far it's going well. Right. I mean, you have uh, Mikhailidis, um, you know, Yanuli. You have Vrakas, who's been called up a couple of times, Kuzias and obviously Solis. Um, and then but I'm talking about the really young players. Obviously, there's other Greeks that have been brought up. But the thing about Solis, and he had a great game today, um, obviously, with the Ethniki. For me, his first few games have been hit or miss. And I think Pauk's going to go as far as I don't want to say as far as he brings them. But when he looks on, he looks on. And and you mentioned you you watch the game. So you know there's been games where he kind of is invisible. Yes. Right. So I'm not saying you're doing this. I'm not saying I'm doing this, but we can't look at these youngsters and say they're gonna be stars, right? They're mm-hmm. not wonder kids yet. Can they develop? Yes, Michaelidis looked great. And then the last few games he didn't look great. In in the European games, he was a little shaky, right? But in other games he's looked he's looked amazing. Right For the key, uh, not today, but the last game he played, he looked shaky, right? There was a couple mm-hmm. re- of co- his reasons were a couple of the goals, his fault. So I think we got to give them time. I know the Greek press and European press is, is uh, saying Solis is the next big thing, but I want to wait and see. I hope he is. But I agree. Uh, Pauk has been giving more opportunities to the younger players and it's evident in our call-ups to the senior team. And I love that because I don't want players – foreign status, right, using one of our EU slots for reserves. We should bring in players that are not from Greece or who are going to be starters or, you know, key contributors. And there's no reason why to bring in someone from another country who um, is maybe of old age or, or come in just as a like a vacation period like we've done before. When you have up-and-comers who are young, who are who want to play for the, for the jersey, who want to play for the coach, um, so I think that's a good job, what, what what we're trying to do so far. We're bringing them up slowly, um, but we'll just see what happens overall after that.
2: Yeah, and I think the Pauk under Ferrer was a bit like the old Pelcos under Paulo Bento. You saw a lot of young players come up, and even if the football was quite mediocre, which I thought it was, the tactics I thought were pretty poor, I thought this five at the back was pretty poor, Pauk there at the beginning of the season struggled to beat Folos, and it was just mediocre football to watch as well. And it really reminded me of Paulo Bento and seeing those young players really come into the first team was so exciting, but then you watch the football and you're like, wow, this is really mediocre. Right. And right. so it's a bit exciting. One thing I'll say about Pauk is they, they are almost like a hot and cold team. You see them mm-hmm. do some really great things and you see them do some things that are so incredibly stupid and it makes no sense. And they have some really great attributes without them. I'll say Vierinha. Vierinha is a legend of Greek football, not just Pauk. This guy's committed himself to Greek football. He speaks Greek. He has a mm-hmm. Greek wife, blah, blah, blah. He really is committed to the country, the culture. I think that's so respectable. But the, this current period is confusing because you see some really good things, but then some really bad things. I think the contract situation is just shocking. It seems. Right it seems to be the biggest problem. And I, I, it seems quite simple. You would think Savidis as a businessman would understand you don't let these contracts run out because then you get no money. You know, it, it, This is how you have to build your team.
1: Yeah, it's, it's also, I mean, when you look at under Savidis, how many technical directors have we had? I mean, yeah. it's just on and on and on of lists of technical directors. And I think that plays a part in it too. You know, different technical directors, different coaches have different, Theories as to how the team should be run. I mean, if you look at Savidis' uh, reign as as owner, he's brought in some really good players who have gone on to play yeah. big leagues, uh, national teams. Um, you you look at from the start, right? You have Lucas, uh, Nacho, Stock, Vitor, uh, Mac, Noboa, Ricardo Costa, Gary Rodriguez. You have some really good players. I don't have to talk about recent acquisitions, right, which that we all know about. But he's brought in some really good players and he's made some good deals. But I think. He's also had some busts, and that has to do with the technical directors and the the different styles of play, right? If a a coach wants to play three in the back, right, but he only gets three months and he gets sacked, a new coach wants to play four, well, what are you going to do with those other players? I mean, right now, if if we're keeping the the four in the back, which I hope we do, you know, we have Mikhailidis, Ingersen, uh, Varela, and then Mikhail when he's healthy, right? So it's five center backs for only two positions. And Crespo, right? That's the fifth. Yes, thank you. So that so you have five for only two positions. So now one of those guys are going to be left out, and then we're going to look and say, oh, well, they shouldn't have let him go. But it's just it's just the style of it's the merry-go-round, right? One person comes in, another person goes out. But um, I do think that you know that's definitely you know what you're pointing out is he's done some good things and he's done some bad things, um, and I think that has to do with the overall. I mean, no one's debating Savidis' business. Acumen, right? He's he put the club out of debt um, pretty early on. 2015, he paid the, the club debt. This PAOK TV that he's had is kind of breakthrough, not only for Greek soccer but European soccer. Before um, PAOK TV came, and I'm not going to say they started it, but you didn't see it much around the world where the, the all the praps would be filmed on YouTube. You'd have exclusive interviews. You've had kind of like mini movies made out. The marketing ploy that he has done is just part of none um, that we've seen in Greek soccer. Uh, and he he knows how to run a business. He just has to have people around him to run the soccer team. And I think once we do, we're going to be a good a good club for, for many years to come.
2: Yeah, and I, I think the the business aspect is something that I've highlighted a lot. The product on PAWC TV is actually fantastic. Some of those documentaries Fortress. they produce are so yeah. good. And they do behind the scenes of a player who got injured and things like that, and they drive around with their family. It's great stuff. Um. On the football side, though, I I think, honestly, sometimes Pauk holds on to players past their sell-by date as well. They don't just give up players or run out of contract. Like Matos, I think, was a club legend, I think some Pauk fans would say, and say he was a great player. But he should have hit the door, you would say. The same for maybe Bisesvar. Varela is a good player, uh, but I think a lot of Pauk fans would be okay if he had left he had that whole situation where he wasn't going to renew and Pauk fans were upset with him crespo mm-hmm. as well it's a bit strange and another player who we were kind of shocked to leave because he played so good against us was Misic. i think the name, the croatian right um and it yeah. was confusing to us because we read maybe he has deep 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 injury problems and that was the problem maybe he had a falling out with Savidis, like that so, was a little confusing to us like maybe you can and also another player leo Jaba, who i think is a, a really nice prospect as well and was right one of the highest i think transfer fees they've paid ever is like mm-hmm. now disappeared so two players i'm a bit confused with
1: those ones. so the thing about misich and 90 95 percent sure this is right there was some sort of cancer and oh. he went back to his parent team he went back to sporting and then he got loaned out to, let me see, uh, to Zagreb for if his treatment goes well. I, I'm 95% sure that's the issue uh, because, yeah, he was he was at loan for POUP for, I think, two years. It was a two-year loan, yeah, until June 2020. But then it got pushed back because of the whole corona thing. Uh, but that's what I'm pretty much sure, and I'm sure one of you guys could fact check that me on that. But I don't want to say anything that's wrong, especially when it comes to something serious like that. Uh, regarding Jabba, I-, I love him too. I think he's a great player. I think he's someone who can succeed under this formation by Garcia, the winger. He's the type of player that you know we don't have in Greece, where he right he was he was a six million dollar transfer fee, I believe six million euro transfer fee, mm-hmm. uh, and he's just a, he's a he's a stud, right? He's strong. He's he's built like a like a bull. Um, 20, 22 years old, and when he when he played a lot when he started. Or was a five million transfer fee, sorry. When he played, he was doing some good things. He was looking at being a consistent starter. I know Brazil was looking at him for the Olympics. And he was getting a detention from Porto, Newcastle, Anderlecht. Uh, but he just wasn't under Ferreira's plans. And, and it's regarding the formation that he has. You know, he can't play as the striker. He's not going to play as a wing back. So where are you really going to play him? I am happy, though, that he didn't leave. Because I think we could kind of rejuvenate uh, his career. Uh, at least for a couple of years, we'll see what happens. I mean, that's what we did with El Caduri. I mean, he was left out to pasture for the past couple, for last year at the end of the last season, but he's been looking really strong this year. He's one of our better players. So maybe that can happen. And, or another big player to come back is Augusto. I think he, again, I think I love him. Um, I think he's a really, really good player at, in the center mid. He has such a great long shine. He's 23 and, and for sure, he was on the Olympic squad for Brazil. So he's kind of a prospect too. Um, So I just hope that we keep these young players. I mean, you have Derski, who's 23. Zivkovic, I don't think we're going to keep. So I'm not even, I think he's here to rebuild his career. And I'm fine with that, as long as he works hard and doesn't cause issues down the road, right? You have Solis, Jabba, um, Merck, who's only 25. Mikhailidis, who's only 20. That's someone that we, we see as young, but only 20 years old. He turns 21 in February. So these are players that we could build around. So we'll see what happens.
3: And part of me kind of thinks that a lot of the, we'll call them the front office issues, uh, are like growing pains. Because Balk under Savidis, all things held equal, mm-hmm. Savidis has made some pretty big strides. Because if you look at the last two decades, right, let's look at the last two decades of Super League play. You know, what, we'll even just do the last decade, because even since, since Marinakis bought Kos. Right. You know, Balk was always a team. Although they competed in the top five, they were usually outside of the top three. It was usually some form of Libyakos, Panathinaikos, Aik, or Panathinaikos or Libyakos Aik in 2010, right. and so on and so forth. Savvidis comes in, builds something in the first couple of seasons, but then last three years, it's first place. You know. Ike or Libyakos, or Pauk in first place, and then Pauk's usually always in second place now. That, Mm -hmm. historically, was not always a thing. So Pauk is becoming, especially, you know, not just in the Super League, a more competitive team. A more competitive product is going out there because of Savidis. Now, the growing pain here is, having not been a team that had that exposure, let's say, and having not been a team that always was, you know that was in the in the business of constantly being able to bring and sell players because mm-hmm. they were on that stage. Now you're on that stage. Now you're eight. Now now players are coming and going more often. There's get there's more exposure. There's more business to be done. So that lack of experience on that end for so many years, it's a new thing. It's a growing pain. You know, and I think that as things move forward, if Bob continued the direction, I see them going in. I think those larger fees, that better business will continue to be done. Mm -hmm. And I think that's definitely a possibility, especially with some of the players that you have playing now, the players that you've brought in. And uh, bringing up Kadori, it just reminded me of uh, under Ferreira, it was something I had complained about, and even Themis Gessaris brought it up before Garcia was appointed coach. I mean, El Kadori for me is one of the core pieces of that midfield. Before before Fereda left, that poor guy was being hung out to dry. When you look at positional mapping per Y-Scout, when we were looking at our positional mapping, Kadouri, the poor guy, if not for his effort, that midfield falls apart, and he was left alone because the other two midfielders next to him were always pushed further forward, leaving him to do all the grunt work and cleanup work himself. Garcia has done, in my opinion, a great job of closing down those holes and really building a more cohesive midfield unit that works together so that you're not relying on El Cadori to do everything. Right. Uh, so props to El Cadori for that. I've really seen him really develop as a player. So when you brought that up, that was something I was like, absolutely. El Cadori, I'd, you know, in previous seasons, I had no idea that he was a thing when I saw him on the field. But now it's – I mean, this guy is a, is a midfield – core piece, a cog that moves the whole thing.
1: Yeah, he's, he's turned into one of those players that you need to input in your starting 11 every game, even whether they're playing a team that's favored, whether they're the favorite. I think he's someone that needs to be playing uh, every game. And also, you look at someone like Ingason, who's been a rock back there, him and Varela. I know Varela, too, last year, there were some rumblings about him leaving, right? I'm glad he's staying. Now he's, he's the captain. Same thing with Ocaduri, right? There was that uh, interest in, from Italy, and people were questioning, what's he, is he going to go? And I don't know I know a lot of Pau fans are saying, yeah, let him leave, because he wasn't playing under, Fer- under Ferreira's plans. But I'm glad we obviously kept those two players. Both of them have done really, really well. I'm glad that we kept Augusto, because I know there are some rumors of him going with Ferreira to Brazil to play. Uh, so we'll just see what happens. Um, I'm hoping that they could start to work better together. And, and I know we haven't talked about this that much, but in regards to the league, you know, we can't fall too far behind the uh, Olympiacos. I think Olympiacos is the strongest team by far on paper. So if we drop points to teams that we shouldn't be dropping points to, it's going to be too, too tough to uh, come back. You know, my goal, and I know that we're a team that's reloading. I don't want to say rebuilding. Because I think that we did reload with, with how I talked about the the comparisons between the sixteen and, and the t- two thousand twenty team. I think we've kind of reloaded, so we're not going the full rebuild mode where we're going to finish sixth seventh with a bunch of young players. I think it's more of a reloading, and you know my goal will to be with be within ten points of Olympiacos by the time the playoff starts, within nine points, within three games. Right, that's a, it's a fighter's chance. I think that's realistic. Anything before that, I think would be. Anything within eight, nine points, will be I'll be happy with. Anything below, I I consider that a failure in terms of just the Super League play.
0: So you've brought that up, what you want to see from the team, and it's true with the way the Super League is structured. You have this playoff system, and if you come in, even though nine points might seem like a lot, you're playing that team twice. So that gives you a really good chance if you win those two games, suddenly you gain six points on them. Now, with Garcia now as the coach... We talked about what you would like to see in terms of the table. What would your prediction be for where Pauk end up, let's say, at the end of the season? Obviously, as Olympiacos fans, we say and we have said that this is our league to lose, and we expect to win every game. But, I mean, it's it's hard to say. It's certainly not a guarantee that Olympiakos will win the league. So what are, what do you think will happen for Pauk this year with the new coach and the new
1: signings? I think with the new coach and his... Uh... I guess, motivation for the players to do well. Uh, They want to play good for him. He'll give younger players more starts, more attention, so they'll want to fight more. I I still see it where if if it goes into the playoffs and we're seven – to nine points behind, I would say that's a good season. And I know, I don't want it to sound like I'm selling myself short, but whether that's in third place and seven to nine points back or second place, seven to nine points back, I don't think that really matters, more so of how many points. But if we're in that position, I think that would be a good season for, you know, if you have to look back, take a second and look back. And our goal this year was just to make the Europa League group stage, which we did, or the Champions group stage. But once we beat Benfica, once we beat... Besiktas, you know, I, I had higher goals. I, I wasn't happy with just making the Europa League. I wanted to make the Champions League. So, I mean, goals are always ever-changing. Um, but right now, before we can really see what Garcia is doing for the team in terms of camaraderie and, and tactical-wise, he's, he's relatively new to this, I would say seven to nine points.
0: And you're very right about expectations and goals changing throughout the year for sure. As soon as I saw that Pauk were drawing Benfica, I admittedly was like, it's basically the same thing as last year when they get Mm -hmm. Ajax and it's just tough luck. But they played really well and they got a great result. And then it immediately became, once the Krasnodar result came in, I kind of expected Pauk to be able to go through after what they'd done. And then obviously they came up short, but at the end of the day, having Pauk in the Europa League group stage and then where they are now with a chance to advance out of their group, I'd say that's pretty good. Now, we got a few questions from Twitter and whatnot that people wanted to ask you for Pauk. Uh, the one right. that we found the most interesting was from our good friend Costa uh, with Olympiacos EU, and he asked, it's sort of a question for for us as well as you, for each of us, for Olympiacos and Pauk, which players for, for our team would we want to take from the other team? So okay. I think I could start and say that if, if Olympiacos could just – go ahead and pick up Yanulis and bring him over and we don't have to play Jose Jobevas yeah. again. Uh, I wouldn't say no to that. That's <laughs> definitely the first one that Absolutely. pops up in my head. And uh, I think Zivkovic as well, looking for some creativity and productivity on the wing. Those are two that come to my mind as an Olympiacos fan. I was wondering, Angelo, as a PAOK fan, are there any players that you think would just fit right into the PAOK team that play for Olympiacos right now?
1: I would say El, El Arabi. Um, up top, I think that he's the kind of the, the the finisher that we that we all need that we don't have. I mean, Suderski's look like he's been he's he's catching fire a little bit, but someone that's just like a Priovitch type that's going to be getting goals, you know, at, at a premium. Um, I love. I I know this isn't a position of need for us, but I love the center back Bach. I love how they play. I love the no nonsense center back. The oh yes. you know, I'm gonna mess you up if you you know, if you go one on one against it's either gonna be the ball, the play. I love I love that type of player. But in terms of, of positions and of need, I'll go with LRIB. Yeah, we love
0: our center backs as well. Ba especially. Ba especially. Yeah. That's our guy. Right. LRIB, I think it's funny because maybe we're a bit spoiled after the season LRIB had last season, but we're we're not satisfied with him as Olympiakos fans. We're looking for the mm-hmm. production that he put up last year, especially in Europe. But Cholak has maybe been off to a bit of a slow start. I guess he he scored his first goal, but it was a penalty against Panadolikos a couple of weeks right. back. But El-Rabi certainly has proven it in Greece and proven it in Europe last season. Lambro and Adi, do you have any thoughts for PALC players you'd like to see in the red and white?
3: I would take Tolis Yeah. Fair enough. I, I, I mean, I, over Masuras on the left. Look, even though Masuras is improving, he's still inconsistent. I'd still take Tolis, hundred yeah. percent. I I would take box wingers. You know what I mean? Because like we don't really have any wingers that are still yeah. Now. The production maybe on the Bruma, wing. Maybe Bruma. Maybe Bruma now, but I mean, I'll take I'll take Zivkovic. I'll take tolis 100%. Yeah,
2: I, I I mentioned the same thing. Remember last podcast, my little rant, how slow we are. Pauk is like the opposite on the wings. Yanulis. Zivkovic totally running at you. That PSV second half was beautiful football to watch from their wing play. But yeah, I'd also take Schwab. I think Schwab would be a nice player to fit into the midfield mm-hmm. from what I've seen. I don't know who exactly he'd get in over with, but I think he'd be in competition, you know, with, with the other guys we have in there. I think it would be good. I think maybe Buhalakis may hit the bench, but Peter mentioned some good players, but Definitely the wingers and Zikian Also, quick shout-out to your guys' goalkeeper, Zivkovic. He's done a great job since coming in. And Pascal rightfully right onto the bench. Just such a mediocre keeper. Good thing for Paukens that you guys found a better keeper.
1: But for me, too, and one, I'm I'm happy that, you know, there is a time where we would go from keeper to keeper, right? Just as, as, as quickly as we go through manager to manager, technical director, technical director. We've had some good goalies who have who have gone on and, and left and have done well, like um, Olsen, right, who's now the Swedish goalie, or he was the Swedish goalie from the, for the last World Cup, Euro yep. Cup. But um, we've had a couple players like that where they go and then they they do better, uh, and then we just don't give them a, an opportunity. So I'm happy that we gave Zivkovic the opportunity. Uh, I think he stole it from Pasilakis. I mean, the thing about – the difference for me about the two is – Zivkovic is more of a a solid keeper. The defense looks more confident with him as their keeper rather than Paschalakis, who kind of, you, you know, once a game, he'd make a bonehead decision. Like, what the heck is he doing? He wouldn't be able to catch those crosses. He would be kind of punching it when he really doesn't need to punch it. He'd do that diving save where he really doesn't have to dive. It doesn't look like he's that confident back there. The defense was kind of shaky. Uh, when he was in. But yeah, like you said, I'm really happy that he's been solid so far. Hopefully, he continues it throughout the year.
0: Yeah, I agree on Zivkovic. He brings the sort of confidence that Jose Sa brings to us for Olympiacos, just knowing that he's not going to do anything dumb. Like you said, I definitely think that's an interesting story over there with Pasarakis basically relegated to the bench, a guy who was in mm-hmm. the Ethniki not so long ago. And speaking of the Ethniki, I think it's maybe about time that we start to get into that game today. There was a friendly between Greece and Cyprus. It took place in the afternoon for European fans and in the morning for North Americans such as myself. It was a 2-1 victory for Greece. Two early goals. Christos Solis scoring his first international goal. Congratulations to him being in the right place at the right time to score that one. And then new call-up, Yorgos Yakumakis scoring a very, very nice goal off a good ball from Korberis at center back. We saw a lot of different stuff from Yonvanship van Ship today. Some stuff that I was personally pretty encouraged by. This is the most fun I've had watching a Greek national team game in some time. At halftime, we did see a lot of changes, whether that's people getting in rest or just Yon van Ship looking to try out new formations. We saw Likoyanis come in at left back, Dampropoulos come in at center back and move Korbelis into the midfield. Limnios came on for Tsolis. Pelkas came on to the midfield. And Bujalakis came on for Fortunis in the midfield as well. And then later we saw Lazaros Rota come on for Mavrias at the right back position. A few interesting things for me lineup wise we saw a center back pairing of Korbelis and Mihairidis, which I actually like Korbelis as a center back. Obviously, we're missing Svarnas right now, but I think that's a good pairing, especially against smaller nations, you know, teams that aren't going to score a lot of goals. Costas Chimikas comes back into the fold at left back to replace Yanulis, who is injured. Chimikas, of course, had been out injured previously. He played very well, I thought. The link up between Chimikas, Fortunis, and Soris on the wing was very nice for me. We saw Tazos Bagasetas, a player that we have given a lot of shtick on this podcast in sort of a different role. I personally think he looked a little bit better. At least he didn't get on my nerves as much. And that might just be because he's got more creativity in the midfield. It isn't all falling on him to be creative there. Additionally, we saw young Panathinaikos winner Tazos Hatsiovanis start out on the right and then move over onto the left wing when Linios came on. A very good game from him, I think. He's a nice young player that I think should feature for Greece more often. But definitely a team that I would like to see a lot more the guys we saw out there today. I would definitely make a few changes before this weekend's game, but interesting match for sure, and especially in the first half, really nice result.
3: Uh, it really was. And just to kind of point out, so funny enough, the match report, while we were recording, the match report just went live. I'm just kind of piecing together some things now. But in that first half, with that first half gorgeous lineup that we had, Greece, on average, when we're playing against other teams, uh, in terms of our positional attacks, we're averaging, in terms of positional attacks, 15 15 per game, okay? In the first half, we hit 15. We had 15 positional attacks. Our positional attack efficiency, which is the number of shots that come after them, is 23.3%. First half, 33%. A third of our positional attacks resulted in shots. Much more effective, actually breaking down the teams into the defense, going through, getting shots off. Now, for me, you brought up Bacasetas. While we were running the four thirty-three, I thought maybe he was a little bit more useful, but I still think he is an average footballer. I don't see much special about him. Oh, I don't disagree. I- I am not a fan of him. He is not the most creative number 10. I am just going to put something, give you guys some metrics for Fortunis and Bacacetas, by the way. Fortunis, who's supposed to be, I guess, less of the workhorse than Bacacetas. Bacacetas had one interception and three recoveries. Fortunis had three interceptions, five recoveries. Fortunis did more in the defensive mid role, than Bacacetas did as a number, as a box-to-box kind of playing the number eight role. Also, Fortunis attempted three smart passes. He had three passes that attempted to cut at least two players through for a major dangerous opportunity, one of which was successful. Now, Fortunis also had two shot assists. Bacasetas had one. Bacasetas attempted two smart passes. To try and cut through, nothing went out. The two that he tried were both sins down the wing. They were kind of like lobs over the defender's heads, neither of which were really on target. Also, another game that Bacacetas had more back passes than forward passes. As a number eight, how in God's name do you have more back passes than forward passes as a number eight playing deep in the midfield? It doesn't make any sense. This guy is not a number 10. If you need a workhorse, maybe, he can play that way. But I am so sick and tired of seeing Bacasetas play as a number 10, as a guy that's supposed to be positioned as the midfield maestro, wearing the captain's armband, and he is useless on the pitch with the ball at his feet. You know who is not useless on the pitch with the ball at his feet? You know who is really good with the ball at their feet and leads the Greek league Or in all competitions, both European and Greece, in terms of creative opportunities, smart passes, key passes, there's two players that come to mind, one which had COVID, Madalos and Fortunis. These are the guys that should be leading your midfield. These are the guys that are going to possess and really make you break down these smaller teams and then also compete against the big teams. Now, in the future, Bakaseta should be shipped back to Turkey, and then maybe we should have a guy like Galanopoulos called up, or... Guess what? Even Bougalakis, I would rather have him in there. Second in the Greek league in terms of smart passes per 90 minutes.
2: Dude, I'm going to be honest with you. Bakasetas is going nowhere. He is the captain of this football team. He is a mainstay. He's going to be the 10. He'll be the eight. He'll be the nine. He'll be a center back if we need it. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> I, and know. I see all of you people moaning on Twitter about Bacasetas. It is no task. Why are you? Why are you people even talking? There's Bacasetas. It's still frustrating. It, it doesn't matter. Bacacetas will be there at 36 years old, and he'll just be back passing his way all the way from Turkey. <laughs> Honest to God, this four-three-three formation today with Fortunis playing slightly deeper, Bacacetas playing slightly deeper is the best thing I've seen from John Van Schip since the pre-COVID days when we were playing the good football with Mario Vusai and, like, the other young players. So if we play with that formation uh, in Moldova, I'm more than happy and I'll save comments.
1: So the thing that I know is about Van Schip right away, and I, li- I like him. Uh, I know I'm going to get slack from a lot of people, but I, I like him. I <laughs> not. There's there's some people that absolutely hate him and that's fine. That not hate him, but hate his uh, his ideas and his game plans and his selections and that's fine by me. Uh, when you know, when you're comparing Santos's uh, games, he's you know he's considered a higher a better coach, right? But at the beginning of his tenure, he was having these all these one nothing games too, and people were calling for his head. I mean, you look at he tied Georgia, he tied Latvia. He'd be Latvia, Israel, Malta, Georgia, um, Armenia, Lithuania, Liechtenstein, all one-nothing games, right? We do not have the players that I think a lot of Greeks think we do. Right. Just because they have a couple of games or they do well in Europe, one or two day, games, and the press hypes them up, that we think that we're all of a sudden this top-level European country or even a mid-level. We went down. I don't think people realize how far we went down, you know, losing to San Marino, losing to likes of that. For us, the thing about JVS and what I was getting to before I went a little sideways is he is instilling his culture. He is saying, these are the types of players I want, and he's not going to budge. And I commend him for that. It's very difficult as a coach to do that. For example, if you talk bad about the team, you talk bad about selections, you do anything like that, he's not going to have you. It doesn't matter who he is. And I think that he is instilling a culture. He knows that it's going to be really tough to get to the World Cup, right? So he's kind of building some sort of culture, some sort of team identity, team mantra that works that talks about working hard off the ball, that talks about positioning, that talks about speed, that that goes around all these things. I think Fortunis, I agree, right? I, I thought he wasn't didn't work hard off the ball usually today. He was the one of the best players on the in the field. And I'm not debating his talent. I think again, when he is on, he's probably the best player in Greece or best Greek offensive skill player that we've had recently. But why he wasn't starting for me has to be if I'm trying to get into JVS's mind was that maybe he wasn't working as hard as he thought Fortuny's could be doing. Maybe he was sending a message saying, you could be doing X, Y, and Z, and you're not doing that. So you're going to sit off, come off the bench a little bit. Now, the big key will will be who plays against Slovenia, who plays against Moldova on on Sunday, I believe. That's what we're going to see what JVS is made of. Is he going to go back to revert putting Fortunis on the bench and Solis on the bench when they've had the games today? I think we're more likely to see those two play on Sunday's game rather than against Slovenia, where we don't want to have too many attackers. Because, I mean, even today, we look pretty susceptible in the counter. There's a couple chances that Cyprus got behind us where a better team is going to finish. So so we'll see. I think we'll see what happens this weekend and the next week about what his plans for Fortuny's, for Solis, for Hatsuvianis are going forward.
0: It is true that we do not have the simple, talented players that were on, say, the 2004 team. You know, there has been a decline from that. But the thing that's disappointed me has been, I look at the players out there, and I look at the formation, not just who's out there even, but where they're playing on the pitch. And for me, I see that things could be changed and improved. For example, the use of Montalos on the wing, which is a very common employment of JVS. Montalos is a great player. He's had a very nice season for Ike, I think. But when used out of position, he's not as effective. And that's one thing that kind of bothered me a little bit. And even the same could be said for Fortunis. If Fortunis is going to play, I don't want to see him on the wing. He's not as effective there. Regardless of how skilled he is, he doesn't have the pace to just run down the wings. He's not that type of player. He wants to be having more room to create and do unique things with the ball instead of just being a winger where you're sort of a lot of times forced to be a lot more one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that annoyed me. And you see Fortunis and Manzalos who are both talented, creative players, and they're being pushed out of position because Bacasetas is immovable uh-huh. at the number 10. And I just think that statistically speaking, Bacetas is... Not the creative player we need, especially when we had paired him with Kurbelis and Zeka in midfield. Now, I should mention as well, Garanopoulos will hopefully be on his way back sometime soon. He did play for Ike in their Europa League victory. He came in at the end of the game. So it seems like Ike are trying to get him some fitness. I actually don't know if he's caught COVID or anything. I hope he hasn't with the Ike outbreak, but hopefully he's regaining fitness and he'll be back in
3: the fold for Greece soon as well. So for me, when it comes to Van Chip, and I've made my stance on him very clear, I like his strategy, I like his tactics, I like the philosophy. What I abhor are his player and personnel choices because game script means nothing to him. The tactics that he uses are mind-boggling sometimes, absolutely mind-boggling. I mean, he plays his skill positions out or his skill players out of position, which is a big no-no, and he just completely wastes some of our talent. There is no reason Funtas should ever be playing on the left wing. Madalos should never be playing on the left wing. This is stuff everybody has said. He did it, and it doesn't work. You watch when Madalos plays on the wing, he drifts into the center. The positional mapping shows it. Him and, him and Fortunis do the same thing, and then everybody complains that he's sitting on top of Bacasetas. Well, the problem is they drifted more into the middle because Bacasetas can't do anything except back pass. So they drift into the wing to do something. That's their natural position. It's what they're going to do. Look what happens when you play a natural winger. We've been asking for Zolis to play for months. Look what happens when you finally have him on the field. Now, is he young? Is he going to be inconsistent in terms of his form? Of course, absolutely. But you have to play your natural players at their natural position. And for me, the game script is extremely important especially in these UEFA Nations League games. Now, Slovenia, that is a, a, a much more powerful team than Moldova or Kosovo. The way you approach Slovenia is completely different than Moldova or Kosovo. It's much more respectable and, I would say, even expected for Van Schip to take a, a much more balanced approach. In that game script, I think Bacasetas has a better place as a guy that's going to run down the defenders, maybe help with the press. And... I don't doubt that he's not a vocal leader on the field. The game script there is different, and it's important, and he should be there. But when you are against Kosovo and against Moldova, who are by no means powerhouses, you need to have guys that can break down a bus. And the guys that break down the bus on this team – now, again, Madalos has COVID. We can't really enter him in this conversation. But from past performances – he has been played out of position, which really neutralizes his ability to do so. Same thing with Fortunius, who probably can play a little bit better on the wing, but still, even so. Even playing midfields, in a midfield with guys like Gourbelis and Zeka, Zeka's a workhorse, you're not expecting much more out of him. But Gourbelis, who's on and off in terms of his playmaking capability. We put on Twitter metrics with Bukalakis in terms of the key passes and smart passes per minute. He leads all the midfielders Greece has, all the defensive midfielders. So if you are going to break down a bus, you need to use the correct personnel to do so. And that is my problem with JVS. His player personnel choices when it comes to the game script are average at best. I love his system, and I think that once the the correct player and personnel choices are made, the system will thrive. He just doesn't seem to make the correct personnel choices.
1: Yeah, and, and I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, I think a lot of it, now let me ask you this question. Do you think it has to do with the whole COVID situation, not seeing players, right? There was that whole lull. I mean, it looked like we were doing before then that lull happened where no one was playing. Now, do you think that has a part? And he wants to kind of see his players and how they fit into his situation. I mean, it's it's easy to to look at game film right but it's different than when you're actually at the stadium watching and watching the off the ball movements a lot now do you think that has anything to play in terms of him kind of still testing what would be his best level because he's always said his goal right was for qatar now do you think that he is still kind of seeing what mixture would be the best and maybe that's why we've been seeing some some weird lineups. But I agree, against teams that park the bus, you need the faster wingers and the more skilled players, right? We shouldn't be playing kind of halfbacks on the wing or, or center midfielders or attacking midfielders on the wing when we need to be breaking down those teams.
3: One of the redeeming things of JVS, something that I don't think we saw enough of with guys like Santos, is that he he's literally giving everybody a look, which is great for right. me. I love that. I love seeing that. But... I wish, especially in the press conferences, he would just own up to that. Just say, I want to look at this guy. Like, he, he was blowing smoke up Siopis's ass the other day. And it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard in my life. He plays at the highest level of competition. I, you know, guys, I learned yesterday that Turkey was a better competition than the Champions League. Who knew? I had no idea. It, it, you give him a look. Just say that. It's okay. Even though Siopis is exactly like Gourbelis, he's exactly the... T- we have three other defensive mids just like him. Just say, I'm giving him a look. Just own it. And that's another problem I have with him. I don't see much of a spine. Like, look at, look at the coaches that we have right now for Libyakos, let's say. Pedro Martins. He owns up to everything. Oh, guys, Manchester City is going to be tough. But you know what? We're fighting for second place. There's no third place. There's no fourth place. We're fighting for second place. It's a disappointment if we don't make second place. Owns up to it, you know, and, and I wish JVS would do that. JVS, dude, you don't want to call Manolab because, you know, he's causing some stirs. See of just say it. F- just be out there. Guys, I'm done with you. That's it. We're not, we're not doing this. Just say it. Own up to it. I'm fine with him looking at as many people as he wants. I, I want to see that. The problem for me is there is utter hypocrisy in what he says he wants in certain players. He says that, oh, I want them to be playing for their teams, correct? Now, how many players has he called up that really don't? Karis Mavrias, he's a substitute for Ammonia. There's other right backs available. Yanis Masuras is playing in Poland. Lazarus Rota, he's called him up multiple times, and the guy's barely seen 90 minutes on the right back. He'd rather play center backs out of position than that. Now, again, the UEFA Nations League games, these are glorified friendlies with some sprinkles on top, Right but there is an opportunity for us to get into a higher pot. So there is some importance to them. So I would like to see some of these games taken more seriously. And for me, if he's gonna do something one way or another, just say it, just just be truthful about your intent. You know, don't be wishy-washy just to pretend to try and justify certain player choices, own up to it. And then when, when the results happen that aren't in your favor, own up to that too. This is the stuff that bothers me with JVS. I still think he's a good coach. I like his system, but when it comes to the to the personnel choices within the system he's created and and how he goes about explaining them, not that he owes us an explanation, you know, I'll I'll be honest. He's a coach. He's going to do what he can to keep it away from the players, but that's the part that bothers me about him. Yeah,
1: I, I agree. I, I that that's that's fair thinking, and I, I hear that a lot. I do question some of his his things, but ultimately for me. Uh, it's, it's results. You know, for me, I have to think about would I rather be looking good and losing games fourth. I'm not saying this is what you're saying, but this is just my thinking. Is It's winning games, moving higher up uh, rankings so we get better pots for qualifiers. That's ultimately what it is because we fell so far low, it's going to be a hike to get up. But is he the person to do it? We'll see. Time will tell. I think this weekend will be really big for him in terms of if we if we get it done and we yeah. win our group, I think the the negative attitude, the negative press towards him is going to go way down. Oh, right? of he, did some, he did something that you know not a lot of other coaches could have done, or that we've had in the recent memory, right? So he, I think he knows that this weekend is a make or break. Do so I think if we don't win, he's going to get sacked? No, but I think it, it's going to be the the lights going to be on him. Even brighter
0: for them. And we've said, um, and I still believe, I don't think he should be sacked in the middle of the campaign. That's for sure. Regardless of what happens, no matter how bad it gets, and I don't even think it's it's necessarily that bad yet. You gotta just keep him on and keep the consistency for now, and then maybe when there's a break, we can reevaluate. I think we'll have to wait until the Moldova game to see what happens. Now with that game coming up, it's obviously the question of who are we going to see. I personally, if we see a lineup that's not too different from what we saw today, I will be happy. Uh, I've been a a critic of JVS in the past, and if we start to see player personnel choices like we did today, I will be a lot less critical of him. We got some questions on social media about what lineups we would like to see. Olympiacos Argentina asked us specifically if we would like to see Solis and Fortunis again. I know my answer for that is yes.
3: Yes, 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 yes.
1: yeah. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're all on board here. Yeah.
0: So, so Angelo, if you were to name a starting 11 for Sunday, given that we're playing Moldova, what would your starting 11 be? And then we can all go around and say what we would select afterwards.
1: I'm fine with today's starting lineup, to be honest. I think that <laughs> the way that we come out, I, I don't think Moldova is worse than Cyprus. Let me rephrase that. I think Moldova is not as good and strong defensively as Cyprus. So yep. why not have more of an attacking lineup out there? right? I think that that's something that we need to go forward with. We, we can't sit back and, you know, because it's going to be away. So, you know, we know they're going to be parking the bus. Ultimately, we're going to have to be the ones that go down and score that first goal. Anything other than, you know, the, the longer that we keep them zero zero, the more dangerous it's going to be. And it, we, if we push numbers up, they're going to be countering. And that's always deadly, right? In soccer, you could have 20 shots, they could have one, and you could lose one nothing. So I think... Oh, yeah. I'm fine with the lineup we had today. Now maybe that's why he took out a lot of those players is to see to keep them healthy, um, to make sure there's no injury. Uh, but but uh, time will tell. But I'd be fine with today's lineup.
2: Yeah, just to build on that, uh, in his post-game press conference, a reporter asked him about the pairing between Fortunis and Bacasetas, and he said it's something that we're looking at. We're looking at the game with Moldova, that could be one of our options. 1-6, and 2 players that play more like 10s. Okay, that is the greatest news I've ever seen. Bacassetto's playing further yes. back and forth. Tooney's playing. Peter Thompson, take a bow. This man made this
0: suggestion. <laughs> they called me a madman on one of the previous episodes. I gonna remember Lombro. <laughs> you didn't see it because you just listened to the audio, but I, I said this, and Lambro's face on the Zoom was like, disgusted <laughs> and then <laughs> he cleaned it up he cleaned up the act for the response and was just like oh I don't know if that would work but I mean I agree no. that I mean he's still not an outstanding footballer but I think when he's with Fortunius or another midfielder that can create more he looks a lot better and it looks a lot less obvious that you know nothing is happening through the middle um 100%. as far as this weekend's game I only really want one change and that's Flaco Dimos in goal which I think we will see the goal that Cyprus did score, you could argue that Barakas could have made himself a bit bigger and got in the way of that because it was kind of a scrum with him and the Cypriot striker coming towards the ball. So let's see our starter, Odysseus Vlahodimos in goal. And then maybe I'd see at right back as well. Mavrias had his moments, but for me, he's not starter quality for the Ethniki, even with Bakakis out. I'd rather see Rocha there. I think Rocha's a nice young player he gets up the pitch quickly. He provides some pace on the right side. So I think that those would be the only two changes I would make. And then pretty much the same team aside from that, it looked really good, folks.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm saying the same thing. I want the same 11. Flaco dimos goal. I really like Corbellis at central defense. I think he's the ball-playing center-back option that friendship wants really bad. And Mavrias, I think, is a weak link. I would drop him maybe for Rota, who looked fine. I want to actually build upon what I was just reading. So I, I have the article from Gazeta up here, the transcript. And he said, It was a different match because we played with two wingers, Zolis and Hatiovanis. He said it's different than the relationship between Mandalus and Yanulis. So that that is really interesting. He mentions mm-hmm. Mandalus isn't a winger and that him and Yanulis were playing completely different than this system. So just something to look at. I may listen to the press conference. I'm just reading a transcript here, but maybe a realization. Real quick, another comment. Hatiovanis. Good game. I know uh Adoni, who's been on our podcast, was warning everyone, don't believe it, don't believe it, Atiovanis is not good. <laughs> I think his decision-making is poor, to say the least, sometimes. But I think that pace and willingness to take people on is definitely something good to see. So maybe Limnos on the other side of Zolis would be nice. And shout-out to Yakomakis. How many Greek strikers yeah. have we seen not able to score? Right. Finally, we find one He's who big. scores. So hopefully <laughs> he keeps it up. Anyway long tangent with the quote and everything but that 433 let's let's roll with it
3: yeah i'm with you guys there i want i'll see that 433 look i know that bacaset is always going to be a part of it i'll deal with it if it means i get to see Fortunas playing in his natural position and him picking up the slack elsewhere i'll take it i'm not going to make any complaints and i'm so glad he came to that realization about Madalos and Yanulis, because look at how well Solis and Tsimikas work together. Tsimikas was playing very similar to what Yanulis does for the, the Ethniki, yep. all the way up the left side, overlapping well with Solis. I mean, they look like they had played together before. That was nice to see. And then, of course, Fortunis coming in, nice interchange and interplay with Fortunis and Tsimikas. It was so good to see. On the right side, I'm going to agree with you, Lombro, there too. I'd rather see Limnios than Caggiovani's. I see what Adoni was complaining about. I understand why he's frustrated at Panathinaikos. I've watched him play for Panathinaikos. And when you watch him play for your club, you're know you always worried that that's going to come out in the national team. I think for Greece and and in the game scripts we find ourselves in, that what he does, some of those chances he'll probably take excess dribbling maybe, just like Limnios does, is going to be more acceptable in, in this context. So I'm not super worried about that. But all in all, I want to see this same four three three guys. I loved Gordbillys at that center back. I thought he looked great there. Me too. Um, so, I'll, you know, again, I'll take this four three three again. Switch Limnios for Cadilovani's, and uh, that's what I'll take.
2: Yeah, and real quick, uh, I noticed on social media, Chimikas uploaded a photo of him and Solis like hugging after the goal. Really funny after the the cup was it the cup semifinal or whatnot where they got into a huge back and forth and so that was like his first moment on the scene but they had chimikas was mad and they had to be held back from each other so it was quite funny it looks like they're becoming quite good friends now in the national team which is nice because there are young stars for the future if you think about it so exciting to see them link up and hopefully be friendly not so angry at each other (laughs) all i'm gonna
0: say don't let chimikas go back to england Send them like Jose Jolebas with like <laughs> yeah, a helmet on or something, so nobody knows it's him. <laughs> we'll, we'll just like play it off; They're, they'll never know because Liverpool probably won't use him anyway. So
1: just just keep the mask on; no one will know. Yeah, let us <laughs> let us
0: hold on to Chimikas. Nobody, I I. It was nice to. It's the first time I've watched him play since he was in an Olympiakos shirt. is very very good to see him again. But just oh man, how we could use him in the team this year. Anyway, um, we're about to wrap up, but why don't we quickly go around and give predictions? for the match against Moldova I'll start. I'm feeling optimistic. I'm going to say we roll out a team like this and I'm going to say we win 3 to nothing, folks. That's my prediction for Moldova. I'm feeling good. I'm ready to be heard again. Angelo, what is your prediction for this weekend's match?
1: Yeah, I have I have it's it's going to be uh, I think pretty tight for the first 40 50 minutes, but I think ultimately we're going to get the breakthrough. I'm going to call it 2 nothing victory.
3: Body. If we see this lineup, or at least the majority of the lineup we saw today that started the first half, we're, we're not only going to win 2-0, or, you know what, I'll, I'll go, I'm actually going to say 3-0 as well. And we'll win without having to go man down, or having to play while man up, and, and they get a red card or something to finally score against them, and to finally see Bacasetas make a key pass. I think we can do it. 3 nothing. Now, if we go back to the lineup that we saw in the last break, oh, God, it's going to be ugly, and it's probably going to be one nothing with a lot of ugly mischances. So it depends on the lineup we see. I don't want to think about that other lineup.
0: Lambro? Yeah,
2: I agree, I agree completely, but people are forgetting we have an insider in Madolvin football, Dimitris Koldovo's is feeding the national team with insider information. A Greek national team star, he is now applying his trade in the Moldovan league. He knows those players well. He knows the conditions. We have a source, <laughs> Peter, <laughs> any thoughts? You know, Spot. actually
0: I-, I watched a YouTube video about Kolovos' team. Apparently they're actually not in Moldova and they're in some disputed territory that like thinks it's an independent i don't know it's like a mess but apparently this team they're actually in like some disputed territory and they like don't don't claim to be a moldovan team but they just like win the moldovan league every year anyway very like interesting I was situation
2: saying, kolovos knows the ground well he knows the country <laughs> he's been texting the boys oh he's warned God. them about their world class defending so I'm going to go out and say, if we see the formation today, let's go 3-1. There's going to be a stupid goal we give up. But if it's the formation from last time, I'm going 0-0. I'm sorry. Uh, if it's 4-2-3-1 with Hatia Vakusa right back, it's, it's 0-0, and it's going to be boring. So that's going to be a pain. But hopefully it's the lineup we saw today. And with Kulavos' inside information, we're, we're ready to go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm optimistic we see a good team, and I'm optimistic we win. And let's leave it on that note. Angelo, thank you so much for coming on. We really enjoyed the discussion. It was very insightful, especially talking about Pauk's season so far from your side. It's been a very tumultuous season for Pauk fans. I only, yeah. I only realized that when we talked to one, but um, very interesting <laughs> stuff. And before we let you go, we want to give you the opportunity to promote the Pauk Talk podcast To our listeners, where can we listen to the Pauk Talk podcast? Where can we keep up with you on social media? And is there anything else that you'd like to promote or plug while you're here?
1: Uh, Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. It's been uh, a real fun hour and a half, two hours uh, getting to talk soccer with you guys. Um, Yeah, so we're brand new. Uh, We're on YouTube right now. We're looking at um, getting some sort of podcast system where we're able to put on like Spotify. Google podcasts, all that, all that fun stuff. But right now we're on uh, YouTube. You could find us if you search Palk Talk, Pauk underscore talk on YouTube. We're also on Instagram with the same username, Pauk underscore talk. And, uh, you know, hopefully we're all, we're all able to grow together. So just be sure to uh, send it out. We, we talk a lot about Pauk. We also touch on some other things that are going around. Uh, if there's a national team game or or uh, we talked the other day with uh, the women's coach from Pauk, the women's team. So that was pretty cool to get that sort of insight information. And, you know, he talked about what women's soccer in Greece is like. Um, they had a big game against Befiko where they lost. But just talked about that. It was pretty cool talking to a... a a coach on one of the teams and we're going to be looking at other other outlets of it too. talk to maybe try to get basketball involved so just all all stuff about Pau. so uh again thank you guys for having me looking forward to another two wins hopefully uh the next time uh you know an episode comes out that you'll be able to talk about how great uh, von ship is and uh everyone everyone will be turning heads with that
0: well wouldn't that be great very cool and congrats on the special guest that seems really interesting i'll have to give it a listen we hope to See the Pauk Talk podcast continue to grow. We know we have a lot of listeners who aren't necessarily Olympiakos fans, so that's definitely a great thing to listen to if you're interested on getting other perspectives of Greek football or hearing more about Pauk. Anyway, that's about all we have for today. Thank you very much for listening, especially if you've made it this far. Continue to interact with us on social media at Gate7INTL on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Reddit, We will be back on Monday with post-game analysis from the Moldova game. We are hoping for the best. And with that, we will see you very soon.